From the First Midwest Bank State Street Studio. This is Chicago's new home of the White Sox. WMVP Chicago. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox. Welcome into the first edition of the 2021 season for White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Meller, your host today, and we are here for you every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., giving you at least an hour of dedicated White Sox talk, so make sure you make it appointment listening to 312-332-3776. If you'd like to participate, White Sox fans, that's your number to get through, so make sure that if you have anything you'd like to talk to, Go ahead and uh, give us a call and do so uh, preferably early because as the show gets rolling, sometimes I uh, run out a little bit of time. So make sure you get in early if you've got some thoughts and what you want to talk about related to the White Sox. Coming up at 915, James Fagan of The Athletic will join me to talk about the White Sox offseason, what they've done so far and what could be on the docket still to come. I'll also pay homage to my favorite White Sox pitcher of all time coming up in the about 930 uh, a man who, if you followed White Sox baseball for any period of time, is probably near and dear to your heart as well. And uh, we'll uh, just talk a lot about what's going on across baseball. We saw some huge trades this week. A couple of trades made by the San Diego Padres who, let's be honest, if you're a White Sox fan, they seem to be the one franchise that will not let us enjoy the, and bask in this rebuild no matter what. If, if there's one thing that White Sox have a thorn in their side re- in regarding, it is what the Padres tend to do because they have obviously traded for Fernando Tatis Jr., which White Sox fans love loved to watch him play. He is so fun to watch, and certainly it's always interesting to just think about what could have been. But we're past that. We've got Tim Anderson. There's no need to fret on that. Of course, Manny Machado was uh, a huge storyline for White Sox fans for a long time during the offseason when he was a free agent, and ultimately he chose the San Diego Padres. So there is the link there as well. And earlier this week, they made a huge splash trading for Blake Snell. And I've been talking to a lot of White Sox fans, both on the radio and on social media, and a lot of folks were very interested in the White Sox going out and trying to land Blake Snell. But I'll tell you what, I'm actually happy the White Sox did not make this deal. Because if you look at what the Padres dealt away for Blake Snell, it's, there are certainly names that are not going to pop out at you. Even if you're somebody who follows you know, the minor leagues fairly closely, these are names who don't jump out at you as like the top you know, 50 across baseball. And there's certainly a reason for that because the Padres' farm system is stocked. But Luis Patino, Cole Wilcox... Francis, Francisco Mejia, who's a 25-year-old who was a highly thought-of prospect at one time as a catcher, and Blake Hunt. Those, uh, and Patino and Wilcox, though, those are two arms that are very highly thought-of around with very high ceilings around the league. 
And when you look at what the Padres gave up for Blake Snell, a target that a lot of White Sox fans were very interested in because he still has three years of control left, I say to myself, if you look at what the White Sox have, any deal that they were going to make for Blake Snell was going to have to include Michael Kopech when you look at the return going back to the Padres. And I'm still a believer in Kopech, and I still think that that untapped potential is something that you don't want to just send away without knowing what you're getting for sure. And I do think, even though Blake Snell has a Cy Young on his resume, I do believe that there's enough questions about him that it's it's not necess- it's not a slam dunk what the Padres are getting in return. He's certainly going to you know front your rotation for the most part, but he's going to enter his age 28 season, and he's n- only one time has he thrown more than 130 innings in a season. Now, that was obviously his Cy Young award-winning season in 2018 when he threw 180 innings, the least ever for a starting pitcher who won the Cy Young Award because that's a lot of what we're seeing in baseball these days is pitchers are not allowed to go through the order more than twice if they haven't proven they're capable of it. And truth be told, Blake Snell, after he goes through the order twice, he's very susceptible to getting hit up. Now, that doesn't mean he can't have a very successful career, as noted by his 2018 Cy Young Award. But if you're going out and getting a front-of-the-rotation starter, if you're giving up this prospect haul, I want a guy I know I can count on who's going to give you the innings at the front of the rotation. That's going to It's not just that they're going to eat the innings and give you quality innings. It's that they're going to save your bullpen every time they go out there. And that's another reason... Um, when I do talk about later in the show, one of my all-time favorite White Sox pitchers, you know that when you have an ace, that's what they do. They save your bullpen every fifth day for the most part. And so it's not just that they're going to go out there and you feel, the, you feel confidence that they're going to give you a very good chance of winning, but you also know that they're going to save your bullpen. And over the course of a normal 162-game season, having that ace or horse at the front of your rotation is paramount if you're going to make a deep run in the playoffs. And the one thing I'm not sure Blake Snell is, and if you're going to give up all that prospect capital, I don't know if that's the guy I want to invest in when you can go out and get somebody like Lance Lynn, as the White Sox did, who is known for taking the ball and giving you 100 pitches at least, bare minimum, every time out, and usually seven innings. That's what Lance Lynn does, and I am truly... When you see what the Dane, you, you deal Dane Dunning, of course. So White Sox fans are a little bit, some fans had fallen in love with Dane Dunning. But uh, truth be told, I think you're going to like what you've gotten from Lance Lynn. He told Cap and Jay Hood when, shortly after, a day or two after the trade, about his mentality when he takes the mound. When I was growing up, it's, it's Roger Clemens, it's Kurt Schilling, it's Randy Johnson. Like those guys are like the ultimate, like, Hey, it's my game. I'm here to win it. I only got one out of every five days to work. Let me work. Let me do my thing. Let me give everything I got. Not every day is going to be the same. You're not going to have the same stuff every day. But don't just put a number on me or a limit on me just because you think that's good. It's like, hey, let let me show you what I'm capable of. Watch me this day. Let, Let me show you what I got this day. And I think that's the big thing is every day is going to be a little different. Every start by start is going to be a little different. But the ability to get through things, uh, push yourself, and give the team a chance to win, 
while also not putting the bullpen in. The bullpen's got to cover four innings every game. We got a problem by the end of the year. So we got to have guys that can go deeper into games and be able to get yourself where the bullpen's only cover one to two innings would be awesome. But if they got to cover three, then so be it. But that's the plan. That's the goal. If we got four or five guys that can do that, that makes everybody stronger at the end of the year for that playoff push and to be healthy and ready to rock. And when Lance Lynn talks about that, if a starter can give you a seven-inning outing, you can rely more heavily on your bullpen to be effective. And when you see those elite bullpens kind of year after year formalize and kind of announce themselves, because it's hard to bet every single season on which bullpen's going to be great. That's kind of just the nature of what bullpens are. Oftentimes, though, you'll see teams that are getting good outings from their starters, and then you don't have to overtax your bullpen. And I think having Lance Lynn here to head the rotation, along with Giolito and Keuchel, both another two guys who I think kind of have that mentality, those are the guys you want fronting your rotation. And I think Lance Lynn ultimately is going to be better for the White Sox than Blake Snell would have been. Here's a little more from Lance Lynn talking about the idea of you know hitting that 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 old threshold 200 innings that has now become so elusive in baseball my goal was to get myself my body and my mind right to leave the league in inning starts pitches thrown all that good stuff uh i make sure i'm ready to go when it's my time to go um i find that ready to go you don't have to speed up at the end so i'd rather just be able to put on cruise control and when it's time to go i'll be ready um, there at the end to get ready for spring training. But right now I'm on pace to be ready for a normal spring training and do everything I can to be prepared to throw 200 innings and 33, 34 starts and on into the playoffs because that's why they got me. Ultimately, so that's why I'm glad the White Sox were able to add Lynn as opposed to Snell if it's a one or other situation. Now, maybe you're a White Sox fan who says, you know what, I'm glad they landed Lance Lynn, but truth be told, I still think they need another starter. Why couldn't they go out and get Blake Snell? If you'd like to tell me about that, Please feel free, 312-332-3776. I will real quickly let read this from Andy McCullough of The Athletic, who we're going to be talking with James Fagan here shortly. And Andy McCullough, his colleague who writes about baseball, yesterday wrote a column about every team's New Year's resolution. And for the White Sox, this was his suggestion for them. Keep Lance Lynn's streak alive. Lynn, the burly and bearded 33-year-old new addition on the south side, is the owner of one of baseball's more romantic streaks. For the past 37 starts, he has thrown at least 100 pitches in every outing. It is the third longest in the wildcard era. Lynn needs two more outings to surpass Randy Johnson's streak from 1998-99. Verlander holds the modern standard at 80 games. The White Sox acquired Lynn to aid a roster that already featured Giolito and Keuchel, Lynn derives his value from his consistency and his durability. He completed the sixth inning in 11 of his 13 starts in 2020 and always went at least five. Let the man pitch. Well done by Andy McCullough. We'll talk with his colleague, James Fagan, about the White Sox offseason next. Chicago's home for sports is the new home of the White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Get the ultimate flexibility with a 10-game voucher pack. No need to worry about a set plan. Choose your games based on your schedule, opponent, or giveaway. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 10game. Hey, Sox fans, all 2021 ticket packages and group outings guarantee ticket assurance so you can secure your spot with confidence for the 2021 season. 
For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is White Sox Weekly, every Saturday morning starting at 9 a.m. for you, the White Sox fan, to sound off and let you know, let us know what you're thinking about, what you want to talk about. Again, I'm Jeff Meller in on White Sox Weekly, the first of the 2021 year. And right now, it's an opportunity for me to bring in James Fagan, who covers the White Sox for The Athletic. You probably have read his stuff if you're a a serious White Sox fan at all. And if you're not, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you're missing out. Lots of great coverage there. As I just mentioned, I read uh, Andy McCullough's uh, his, uh, synopsis of what each team should do, what their resolution should be for the year. So lots of great baseball coverage there. And uh, it's great to have a chance to catch up with James Fagan right now on ESPN 1000. James, Happy New Year, my friend. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, so... White Sox fans, I think, were a lot of them were happy when they added Lance Lynn, for the most part, although there were some that obviously liked Dane Dunning and didn't want to see him go. But there was plenty that still liked the idea of the White Sox pushing all in and going after Blake Snell or even, you know, the idea of if if you Darvish was just a straight salary dump, why not go after him as well? What is the White Sox plan in terms of their rotation going forward? Are they set, or do you think they still have their eye on somebody else who may be out there? I think they could still add depth, but as far as the, you know, basically the additions of the Blake Snell, you Darvish caliber, I think they felt like they kind of addressed that with Lance Lynn, that they have now their top three that they're comfortable going with the playoffs uh, series in. Obviously, the Padres are, are being very aggressive, and you would like to see them be on that, that that same level, but I didn't think they had the prospect depth to um, add Snell. Um, you know, they the kind of package that got Snell. Um, you know, for them that looks like giving up something like Michael Kopech and Andrew Vaughn, who you know they have very much uh, plotted out major league roles for. They're not kind of expendable for the White Sox. And to get you Darvish, you mentioned it being a habit salary dump. We we already see the White Sox kind of you know, shopping on a mid-tier level for, for Lynn, you know, as, as much as Lynn is a top-tier starter in the last couple of years, he's still getting paid $8 million, so that makes him a more reasonable option for them. And, you know, when they signed Adam Eaton for right field, Rick Hahn mentioned that they're kind of spreading their budget um, to address a variety of needs. And that kind of speaks to the fact that they're not looking to kind of, uh, you know, solve any uh, one slot with kind of a $20 million a year player, I, I feel. So, um it, it just didn't seem like the the level that they're shopping at on either from a prospect or a monetary uh, output level. James Fagan joining us on the Corona Hotline here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Meller. You can follow James on Twitter at J.R. Fagan, F-E-G-A-N. All right, James, so you mentioned that they still may be shopping for some depth in the rotation. When you look at the White Sox and where they're at right now, what is their biggest hole for their 25-man roster as you see it? Hmm, biggest hole. Like, 
to be fair, I would say that they've already kind of addressed what I said they absolutely had to get done this season. They needed a right field, they needed a starting pitcher. So now it's about things that, yeah, they could upgrade it, but they could probably get by without doing it. Like, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Liam Hendricks, and obviously they just had their closer, Alex Colomay, um, walk out the door for free agency. And I think they had pieces in house where if nothing got added to the back of the bullpen, at least in terms of like elite guys, they could probably be fine. Like, I. I the experiment of like, you know, can Cody Hoyer close? That probably wouldn't go poorly. But yeah, I would say bullpen to be an area they could add. Um, they don't necessarily absolutely need to add uh, a DH or, uh, you know, a left handed bat, uh, given the fact that they have, you know, Andrew Vaughn, who they're probably going to dedicate most of the DH reps to over the course of the season. But it would be better to have a more veteran presence for opening day. And then, you know, certainly they need to get a little bit better against right handed pitching. You know, it's great to kill lefties, but they need to do a little bit more against the opposite hand. So adding a lefty bat is, is something for them to consider. Um, no, that, I don't really super think that, you know, a rotation depth is absolutely necessary given the fact that you have Ronaldo Lopez and, and Dylan Cease to go for, for the start of next season. Um, I would say also that, you know, they have three catchers, more backup catchers on the 40-man roster, but, you know, backup catcher depth is, is something they could also explore. But these are huge, big ticket, you know, get a, get a 162-game starter tight need that they have left at this point. Yeah, I agree with your assessment, especially when you look across the AL Central and some of the losses the Twins may have, and you couple the fact that the Indians are seriously entertaining the idea of dealing Francisco Lindor. All of a, all of a sudden, they look like the best team on paper in the division, and obviously, we know you can't play the game on paper, but you always feel good as a White Sox fan, knowing that if the season started today, you'd probably take your chances with the roster as currently constructed. Talking with James Fagan of The Athletic here on ESPN 1000, I'm Jeff Meller. James, uh, you mentioned Andrew Vaughn and the idea that he could have some of the DH at-bats as the season progresses. I'm curious... Have you spoken with anybody? What was his development like this past season, considering it was such a strange and different season? And, and you know, I'm not even sure a, a lot of regular baseball fans who are, who are huge baseball fans are really sure what was taking place for the guys who weren't actually on the roster, even though, the, you know, you had the South Bend camp. Like, you know, what's going on for the, for the White Sox players who, you know, weren't actually on the roster? How were they developing this past season? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely weird. It's a lot of uh, sim games. Uh, you know, I was watching the sim game that you know Vaughn was playing in where, uh, you know, Chris Getz, the player development director, is standing out at second base, and he's really minding a uh, high-speed camera that he's got set up more, there more than he's playing defense. So it, it, it was not traditional baseball, but it was a lot of Andrew Vaughn facing higher-level pitching. It was a lot of him, you know, facing, you know, the AAA or quad A guys who are staying ready. Depth. Those guys are, you know, were staying hot all season by facing Andrew Vaughn. So, um, between the fact that when they drafted them, they already viewed him as very polished and having a very mature plate approach and, you know, having kind of this immediate uh, in game power that will play, they, they felt like he got a decent amount of reps that, you know, he, he is in a place where he's near major league ready going into the season. I don't think Andrew Vaughn would be the opening day DH. I don't think he would be someone who's just going to OPS 900 the moment he arrives in Major League Baseball. Uh, that said, I think there's a lot of reasons to be confident in Andrew Vaughn, and they you know, hinted at the fact that Andrew Vaughn is basically on a similar status uh, that guys like you know, Eloy Menez, Elise Robert, or Nick Madrigal were entering their debut season where they're not really going to have a guy, they're not going to you know, plop a Nelson Cruz down in front of them and, and block him when they intended to really 
take over that position over the course of the 2021. I got to get used to that 2021 mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I could see them adding somebody who can mix in at DH, but I don't see them. You know, I mentioned Nelson Cruz. That's the example of the guy I don't really think fits someone who just would come claim the position all season because they're planning that transition to Andrew Vaughn. James, when you look at the roster of, you know, there's so many exciting players on there. Which player do you think may make the biggest leap forward just in terms of, like, there's so much superstar potential on the roster of these young players, but you've got guys like Aloy or, you know, Luis Robert or maybe, you know, Yoan Mankati even, who has proven it at this level, but obviously last year wasn't what a lot of White, White Sox fans were hoping for, but we all know that he had his own issues that he had to deal with last season. Is there somebody on the roster that you think can make a another huge leap forward, even on top of what maybe some White Sox fans are expecting? I mean, I think you you named the the obvious one. I mean, Luis Robert, I think, is the highest ceiling player in the White Sox organization, um, and I, I think it's been true for a little bit now. Um, I was I thought that was Mancada, but now that he's kind of moved over to third base, uh, you know. Robert is that guy who's a literally a Gold Glove defender at a premium position who I think has offensive ceiling that we really saw in August and watched him go through this September slump that I think if he played a full six-month season, season, it would just be a single-month slump. It would not be you know half of his season, and he, wouldn't, he would look much better than a league average hitter. The, the offensive ceiling is, is very intense, and there's so much to grow. Uh, he's, he's not maximized his skill set. He, there's so much to grow in his plate approach, and I think that's going to happen. I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen all at once in 2021, but there's just there's a lot for him to go, and he provides so much value uh, outside of the bat so that once he gets up into being a guy who's an 850 OPS or, or more, he's just going to be such an intensely valuable player. That said, if I want to go to a non-obvious selection, um, I've always been extremely high on Michael Kopech. I always think, like, when they were coming up as prospects, I thought Kopech had, uh, you know, just more juice in the fastball than, than Giolito, and I really like his, his slider and his curveball is really coming along. I At this point, having seen what Lucas Giolito has done the last two years, I wouldn't probably say the same thing, but I think this is a guy who, if he actually has a you know a full season and is set away and is, is able to produce, um, this is a guy who could be, you know, compete with him as being the, the front-end starter uh, when this team is really rolling. James Fagan of The Athletic for another minute here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Miller. James, you mentioned Alex Colome being a free agent. Is Do you think the opportunity of him still coming back and reuniting with the White Sox is on the table, or do you think, for the most part, that ship has sailed? Um, I think that the market is such. Well, like, so Colome was extremely productive. Like, he was extremely good at converting saves uh, in his two seasons of the White Sox. Like, he did his job. He came in, he got out to the ninth inning. His strikeout rates and his peripheral stats in general are trending in a way where I'd say, like, don't reinvest in this guy to the level that a proven closer like him normally gets. Like, I wouldn't say, you know, yeah, sign this up for another three years because nothing's going to crack it. Because I, I, I think there are some indicators that he would be trending downward over the course of the next couple of years of his career. If the market is as sluggish as it's been, where someone like Colome is only getting one year, um, then I would say that would be something that makes sense to the White Sox. Like he, he, I don't know how it's working that he's just throwing his cutter and getting weak contact over and over again. But you know, I would, I would probably bet more on it working again next season than not. So if it's if it's really just like a horrible market free agents where 
a guy like that doesn't require like a multi-year commitment, then I would say it's not off the board. But, you know, with the fact that Liam Hendricks is out there and, you know, guys that have like maybe uh, stronger numbers going forward uh, for projection available, I wouldn't think that Kalame would be the first choice. But, you know, the way things are shaping up, I don't think he's a bad choice either. That is the voice of James Fagan, who covers the White Sox for The Athletic. Great insight there. Again, you can follow him on Twitter, at J.R. Fagan, F-E-G-A-N. James, much appreciate the uh, time today. Thank you for uh, waking up with us on White Sox Weekly. Well, I wouldn't have woken up up (laughs) otherwise, so this is very useful for me personally. Much appreciated. Thanks for making time, James. All right. Take care. That is, again, James Fagan of The Athletic joining us on the Corona Hotline here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. There's still a big-name free agent out there who White Sox have their eyes set on. Maybe a couple callers want to talk about it. We'll do that next. 1,000. This is White Sox Weekly. This is your home for White Sox baseball for 2021 and beyond. I'm Jeff Meller here on White Sox Weekly. White Sox Weekly here every Saturday morning starting at 9 a.m. Chance for you, the White Sox fan, to talk anything White Sox related. We're here for you. Again, 312-332-3776. So make sure you make that your appointment listening if you're a White Sox fan. Let's go on out to Dre, who's in Denver. Big White Sox fan. What's up, Dre? How you doing, man? Mallor, what's happening, my friend? How's it going? Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good so far. How well, about you? Well, get used, get good. Get get used to this call every okay. Saturday morning. I'm here, know. man. <laughs> I'm so excited. Hey, I was thinking about this. You know, with the Cubs, and this all happened this past week, week and a half. You know, with the Cubs doing basically a fire sale. If I was the White Sox, I would be looking at the opportunity to kind of take over the Chicago market. I don't know if that'll happen because you got a lot of diehard Cub fans. But for the new generation, the young kids, they have an opportunity for the next five to six years to do something really, really special, really big, and kind of take over this city, take over Chicago. Well, I'm, I'm in Denver, but take <laughs> over Chicago. And I, I, I've liked everything they've done. I kind of question La Russa. I'm over it. I'm, I know he's not going to be bad, but I just wasn't expecting them to hire him. But with that said, he's not going to damage the team. But what I was looking at with, with San Diego making these big trades, I was thinking with the Sox having this momentum to take over the city and really take interest in the city to another level, getting somebody like a Bauer, I don't know how much he would cost because I was just looking at uh, some rumors and teams like the Yankees and and Dodgers and uh, Red Sox are in play, so that's going to be big money. But is there anybody else out there in the free agent market? Because I wouldn't – I'm comfortable with the position players and batting. I don't think we need to go get anybody or make a splash for that because I think we have people in the minor leagues, and I, I'm, I'm cool with what we have. But I think a, a, a big pick, uh, like a Bauer, and do like a six-man rotation so you won't wear the arms out during the year, and then when it comes to the playoffs, you, you, you'll be good. And just you have a good shot with pitching, with a, adding another pitcher. And then the other thing, so adding, adding Bauer, somebody like Bauer, or then what is it going to take to lock up maybe Giolito, and then you think they'll just look at Lynn this year and then wait or let him become a free agent or locking him up too. Sure. All right, Dre, lots to, un- uh, 
to tackle there. I'll try and do my best to hit on all of them. Um, so you mentioned, yeah, first of all, I'm with you completely. Look, the way the White Sox have the city right now, you know, anybody who's a White Sox fan is tickled with excitement about what the possibilities that this team, the window is now wide open with the exciting young players. You mentioned all the hitters on the roster as I mentioned with James Fagan last segment, there's just so many options for guys to really, you know, even break through more than they already have. The, the excitement level is through the roof for White Sox fans. The question is, you know, can they capture the casual fan? Well, I think if you're not somebody who is, you know, aligned with the, you know, the Cubs, I think it's certainly possible if you're somebody who, you know, kind of is on the periphery and likes to figure out, all right, well, which team is more exciting? I I think it's undeniable that for the next, you know, two to three years, the White Sox look like they're in prime position. Now, they need to deliver on that. And would going out and breaking the bank for somebody like Trevor Bauer be the move? That's that's the question. So I actually had Jeff Passan on earlier this week, and I asked him, will Trevor Bauer actually take a one-year deal like he's been talking about? Or... Is he going to be, you know, like every other big name free agent we've ever seen? And, you know, once the multi-year deal is in front of his face, you know, will he just say it's too much to pass up? So will Trevor Bauer actually take a one-year deal? Uh, you know, I I sort of go back and forth on that. I think it makes the most sense to take a big deal. But if the market is not giving you the kind of deal uh, that you believe you're worth, I don't think he's afraid to go out and take one year. Um, you know, I talked earlier, what does it say about Trevor Bauer's situation uh, if you Darvish is getting this kind of return mm-hmm. and, and the value on him clearly isn't what it is. I, I also look, guys, at the top of the market every year and, and inevitably those guys get paid. And I think that was to your point, Trey, is when you've got guys like or teams like the Yankees interested in Trevor Bauer, it's going to be hard to match whatever they're willing to do you know and it's a different landscape based on what happened last year there's that's undeniable but still there are bigger market teams that are interested in trevor bauer and so because he's the top pitcher available he's coming off a cy young award i think it's going to be a situation where he's just it, especially when you consider that they've added Lynn. And yes, every White Sox fan would love to just drop Trevor Bauer into the rotation as well. But as you heard from James Fagan 15 minutes ago, it's already that you know you have Lynn, Giolito, and Keiko locked in. One, two, three. Likely Dylan Cease also is in the rotation. You would expect him to be there. And then it's just a matter of Michael Kopech after having the year off. How long will it take for him to ramp up and get back to being where he was in the rotation prior to Tommy John? And until he gets there, you do have Ronaldo Lopez as well, who can eat some innings. And I know White Sox fans maybe have been a little disenchanted with Ronaldo Lopez, but there's been glimpses. And maybe working with Ethan Katz, they'll be able to unlock something with Ronaldo Lopez. If they can't, maybe he, he fares better in the bullpen in, you know, one inning stints where he can ramp it up and just go out and let it fly for an inning. And he may be very effective in that situation as well. But you've basically got six arms for that those five rotation spots to begin with. And again, I understand Kopech is young and he's still coming off of Tommy John. Dylan Cease is young. And so you don't want to necessarily count on them for a full 30 starts plus. But 
they're guys that if everything goes as co- goes according to plan, you kind of have them locked into the rotation. So it becomes a little more difficult to break the bank for somebody like Trevor Bauer when this is already kind of set up the way it is on your roster. Let's try Frank, who's on the road. Hey, Frank, you're on White Sox Weekly, my man. Hey, first of all, I got to apologize about something. This is the first time I'm listening to you guys. I listen to your competitor. They stink. You're so down to earth. And the only reason I'm listening because I was listening to Notre Dame game. That's why the station was set at 1,000. But anyway. Well, thanks for thanks for testing us out, Frank. And I, I guarantee you, if you keep well, listening, you'll like what you you're hear. My guy, you're my guys now. Being a Sox fan since 1956, diehard Sox fan, I got two moves the Sox should make. Okay. One, this team is ready to roll. Number one, let's get to LaRusso, best manager for the job. Because I'll tell you one thing the Sox are going to do this year. They're going to hit and run, they're going to bunt, and they're going to steal bases when needed under this guy. That's one. Number two, they got right under their nose the perfect DH. Go sign Schwarber. <laughs> what are they, nuts? I mean, listen, let's face it. Let's, let's put facts on the table. They're very uncertain at the DH spot in left-handed. What more could you want? And I'm not a diehard Schwarber fan. I know he strikes up, but you know what? 30 homers, 100 RBIs with what they got now, how could you pass that up? Frank, what are they waiting for? Frank, as they, far as Bauer goes, mm-hmm. you know, as far as Bauer goes, you know what? Now that they got a good pitching coach and they got rid of that, that antique, maybe he could work with these young guys now. All right, okay. Frank, Frank, thanks for testing us out. Uh, hopefully you uh, continue to listen. We do appreciate the call. You mentioned Kyle Schwarber. You're not the first person who's mentioned the idea. They could certainly use a left-handed hitter, and the idea of Schwarber, you know, on the south side is intriguing to me. I especially think that at at the rate, he would have a chance to rake and really provide that left-handed pop, but... It's one of those scenarios, too, where you look at they, they already made the move for Adam Eaton, and I know some Sox fans aren't convinced that he's going to be the guy, but when you have Eaton and Angle, I think there's a chance where they're looking at the platoon. We mentioned earlier we're talking about Andrew Vaughn needing some at-bats. He may force his way onto the roster at some point later in the year. So I think I'm not going to rule it out completely. It's a possibility, but it's really a buyer's market right now. There's a lot of good hitters, not just Kyle Schwarber. I'll mention too, Michael Brantley. You know, if you're, if you really want to go solve that, you know, DH slash, you know, Brantley's more of a left fielder. So you'd have to, uh, that would be a rotation between him and Eloy between DH and left field. But if you really want to go out and get a hitter, a lefty who could, who can really provide some contact, Michael Brantley might be an even better solution than Kyle Schwarber. But listen, if they went out and got Schwarber, I think he would fit nicely in the lineup as a lefter, a lefty. But um, it's it's one of those scenarios where there's so many good hitters out there on the market right now. I think it's a buyer's market. And so this is where the White Sox can kind of have their pick of the litter and let the market play out and then see, okay, well, who's the best one left? If there's somebody out there who's willing to make, take a team-friendly deal, Maybe they are the solution for the White Sox. All right, uh, a few more minutes for you here on White Sox Weekly. I see you, Bill, Bob. We also have to get to a, we're going to pay homage to my all-time favorite White Sox pitcher because he's now eligible to be voted into the Hall of Fame. We'll share that with you next. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the new home, the new home of the White Sox. In 
2021, Mark Burley is on the official Hall of Fame ballot, one of 11 first-time players eligible. And unfortunately, I think Mark Burley is not going to ultimately make the Hall of Fame. He's somebody who I think is just going to miss out because... The stats, when you look them over, they're just going to be, I think, a little short, especially when you consider he walked away with, I believe it was 214 career wins. And so I think it's going to be a little hard for him to sneak sneak into the hall. But for my money, he was my favorite White Sox pitcher of all time. Not just in terms of I knew every time he'd go out there that I felt confident the White Sox were going to win and... Nine times out of ten, I also felt very confident that the game was going to be enjoyable to watch. It was nostalgia for me because he was one of the few guys who worked in rhythm, got the ball, and, and threw it. And as a fan, there's something aesthetically pleasing about watching a pitcher work that way. And so I asked Eric Ostrowski, who uh, produces White Sack Weekly here, to put together a montage of some of Mark Burley's greatest moments in honor of his Hall of Fame um, eligibility. And so, without uh, further ado... Some of uh, Mark Burley's great moments in White Sox history. Wow. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not good at this stuff, so I should be on the mound right now, not standing here in front of this mic talking to you guys. Mark Burley makes his first relief appearance since his rookie year and deals with Adam Everett, the winning run at the plate, tying runs are on. A one-one pitch. Everett pops it up. On the infield for Uribe. The White Sox are up three games to nothing. A 14-inning game and 7-5 Chicago. We will go to the top of the ninth inning. Mark Burley, all your sons and daughters, friends and neighbors. As you check out our Comcast Sportsnet tail of the tape. 6-7-0 for our Sox. No runs, no hits, two errors here in the top of the ninth inning. it between his legs to a barehanded catch. What an effort by Mark Burley. Wow. That one's well hit. Deep right field. This one's got a chance. And it's gone. Mark Burley has just hit one out. His first career Major League home run. He gone. Picked it off. Got him. Look out. Yep, he did. They picked up. Burley got it. And his also becomes victim number 48 in Mark Burley's career. The 2-2 pick. Line drive. Call your sons. Call your daughters. Call your friends. Call your neighbors. Mark Burley has a perfect game going to the ninth. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. The catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! 
What a play by Wise. Mercy. A great catch by Dwayne Wise. As Wise goes back into the wall, knowing he has no room to spare, he goes up over the wall and then juggles it before corralling it. What a play by Wise. Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. He gone! One to go! Alexei! Yes! 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 History! I don't know when I do the no-hitter. I was surprised as can be when I do that. Perfect game. It's a, I mean, I tell you, no hitter is impossible. Throw here is a perfect game. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Unbelievable. My favorite Mark Burley memory is his little slip and slide action on the tarp during a long rain delay. Everybody loved the guy, and then when you do something like that, you realize he's a, a real person and he's fun. Yeah, he kept it loose, and I think all of his uh, teammates appreciated that. He's out there to play a game and have a good time, and he took this whole city on a ride with him. Last but not least, you guys, the fans. Um, you guys have been so good to me over my career, and obviously still, hey, my career's over. And I can't thank you guys enough. You guys have been so good to me. I spent a third of my life here, and yes! I, nowhere else I'd rather spend it than here on the south side of Chicago. Mark Burley, my all-time favorite White Sox pitcher. He gave you 12 seasons on the south side throughout his career. His 16-year career in the 14 seasons where he was essentially up for the entire season, not including his final season, he gave you 200 innings for 14 consecutive years. And his 15th and final season with the Toronto Blue Jays, 198 and two-thirds of an inning. He started for 15 consecutive years, 30 games or more. Dude was a machine, and not just a machine, but he was a fun machine. Every time you watched him go out there on the mound, it was so much fun. So I don't know if he's going to get in. I'm hoping he does. But if he doesn't, you know what? He's still my all-time favorite White Sox pitcher. So that's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly this week. If you didn't get in, I apologize. Call us back next week. We're here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. White Sox Weekly for your Sox talk. Stick around for Fred and Xander coming up next.